God Almighty. God Almighty, the Most High God, O Lord, age to age you're still the same by the power of your name. God Almighty, God Almighty, I love you, O Lord. We will praise and lift you high. God Almighty. Beginning a series that will continue through the rest of this year on the names of God. And the Lord brought to my mind the illustration that Jesus used about a man who built his house, his life, on the rock instead of the sand. And when the storms of life inevitably come, his house, his life, endured the wind and the waves. Now, You and I know that Jesus Christ is the rock upon which we are to build our lives. Let me ask you a question. What does that mean in all practical terms? What does that really mean on a daily basis? I mean, does it simply mean that all you need to do is get saved and all the rest of your life, everything's just going to be dandy? Is that what that means? Well, no. Not necessarily, because even as Christians, we deal with the same issues and the struggles that the rest of the world deals with. We are affected by the storms of life. And so it has to be more than simply a decision to follow Christ that I made way back when. It has to be more than that. There has to be something each day that we do to ensure that our lives are built upon the rock that is Christ. And so I came to the conclusion that the, the despair and the depression and the disillusionment that people feel these days is something that needs to be addressed from the pulpit. And I considered building a sermon series around the theme of God being our rock. But as I thought about that, that illustration, that analogy, I know that it would convey the idea that our lives are being assaulted by the outside forces of the wind and the waves of this life. And while that's certainly true, it seemed even more appropriate to consider our situation to be one not where we are simply assaulted by outside and exterior forces, but that the proverbial winds and waves of this world are actually tossing us around in the midst of the storm. It seems to me that right now so many of us are, it's not so much that we're on a house at the shore seeking safety from the storm. It's more like we're in a boat out at sea in the midst of the storm. And what we need is a lighthouse, a beacon that can guide us to safety. And the beacon produced by the lighthouse that is God, that becomes visible to us only when we come to understand the true nature of God and then we trust in Him day after day. But you know, when the storms of life become so intense that we lose sight of God our lighthouse, Well, it is at that point that we become slaves to the storm. 
The instability of this world begins to unsettle us. The ignorant leadership of this world misleads us. The fragile wealth of this world fails us. And so that is when we become and we feel depressed and helpless and unstable and apprehensive and without hope. It's because we are enslaved to the storm. Now, many preachers and theologians and Christian leaders uh, shy away from using the analogy of slavery because the, of the difficulties that our own nation has obviously had over the subject. But listen, slavery has been an inescapable reality for most of human history. Slavery in any era has always been an infringement upon the freedom that God has granted to the soul of every person, as we are all, every last one of us, we are all made in the image of God. And as image bearers of the Most High God, we are God's royal representatives on the earth. We are to be princes and princesses of the King. And that is such a high and lofty position that human slavery is an absolute offense to it. What made slavery even more egregious in the United States and other nations is that its subjects were not just those of conquered nations, not just those of such poor economic means that they sold themselves into slavery, but they were people who were captured who had an ethnicity other than the ones who made the rules. And they were from lands other than the rulemaker's ancestors. And as a result, slavery in our nation became inexorably linked to racism. But what is universally understood about slavery, no matter what context, no matter what country you're from, or no matter what era you ever lived in, is this. When you're a slave, you are not free. Slaves are not free. And it is that those terms that we talked about, the depression, the disillusionment, the instability, the apprehension, all of those are feelings of someone who is enslaved. Those are the feelings of a slave. But the feelings of a free man are quite different. And now you might think that slavery is not something that you have to deal with, but I, I would beg to differ. I would simply tell you that that's not true. You see, none of us here are a slave to another human. However, make no mistake about it, you are a slave. And you might disagree with that. In fact, you might think that this preacher here has lost his mind. And I would tell you, not yet. I reserve that right in the coming decades to lose my mind. We'll never, who knows what will happen. But not today. I will show you, both by example and by scripture, that you are a slave. And the quicker that you are to accept this fact of life, the quicker you will overcome the storms of life that enslave you. You see, none of us are absolutely free. An absolutely, a totally free person has no dependence whatsoever on anyone or anything else. And that simply does not describe any one of us, does it? 
It's not true of us. I'll give you an example. For example, we have people in our country who, through no fault of their own, have been sold a pack of lives, a pack of lies, and are now enslaved to the welfare system. The war on poverty begun in the 1960s was supposed to lift people out of poverty, wasn't it? But instead, it's actually had the opposite effect. There is a higher percentage of people enslaved to poverty now than there was when the programs began. And the essential flaw of these government programs is that they failed to adequately understand human nature. Now, why is that? It is because they were designed by people who did not adequately understand human nature. These people who designed these programs should have read the Bible more and Karl Marx less. So make no mistake about it. There are millions upon millions of people enslaved to a faulty system, and this is to everyone's detriment, even their own. And you might think, well, hey, that's not me. I'm not on welfare. I'm not a slave to some system. Okay, I'll give you a different example. Which one of us here knew that last year when a worldwide airborne pandemic struck, causing potentially deadly inflammatory issues in humans, that all of us, every last one of us, would become desperate for toilet paper. (laughs) I mean, when this worldwide insufficient paper equipment shortage began, and you'll want to spell out that acrostic, this worldwide insufficient paper equipment shortage I immediately began to question whether I had spent my entire life with the fundamental misunderstanding of human biology. I mean, based on the rush to purchase toilet paper, perhaps it was me who did not truly grasp how this infectious disease was spread. I mean, how does the proper application of toilet paper make a cough or a sneeze or a breath less forceful? Or had I been misapplying toilet paper my entire life? Or maybe this pandemic was affecting people in ways that the news was too embarrassed to explain, but that toilet paper could address. I finally came to the more practical conclusion that the next time a pandemic strikes the world, I should immediately buy stock in Charmin and Quilted Northern. But what happened? You couldn't find toilet paper anywhere. People had become something that this world had never seen before. Toilet paper hoarders. In fact, I don't think those three words had ever been uttered in the same sentence. Toilet paper hoarders. Who knew that this was such a thing? Christian theologians began writing blog posts about how unchristlike it is to hoard toilet paper. I'm pretty sure the book of James says something like this. If a brother or sister is without toilet paper, and one of you says to them, go in peace. But don't give them what the body needs. What good is that? Churches, including our own, began helping the toilet paper poor be blessed by the toilet paper rich. I still to this day 
have a six-pack of toilet paper in my office that I was unable to give away. I keep it there because you never know when the next inflammatory pandemic might strike. Now, here's my point. Why did this toilet paper shortage affect every last one of us? Simply this. We are not absolutely free persons, are we? We're connected to an economic system. Really, we're connected to one another. And a completely and totally free person has no such dependencies. And there's only one person like that, and that is God. The reason that we feel depressed and helpless, unstable, apprehensive, and without hope is because in our minds we feel enslaved to this world. So what's the solution? I mean, you and I, we live in this world, right? We cannot escape this world. We have to use the systems of this world. So how do we live in this world and at the same time not feel enslaved to this world? Here's the key. We need to transfer our slavery to another master. Let me show you what I mean. You know the story of Moses, right? That God used Moses to deliver Israel out of what? Out of slavery in Egypt. We read at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. A lot of people don't realize the Ten Commandments begin this way. But at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, this is what God says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. Now, what most people fail to understand is this. God did not give Israel absolute freedom. He simply transferred their slavery to a new master. And I'll show you. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 55. This is what the Lord says. For the Israelites are my servants. They are my servants that I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do you get it? Do you understand? Israel was no longer a slave to Egypt. Israel had a new master, God himself. And when God is your master day by day, you won't have those feelings of hopelessness and despair. Those feelings come when you're enslaved to the wrong master. That is the key to breaking free from the depression and the helplessness, the instability, the apprehensiveness, and the hopelessness that enslaves you. When God truly becomes your authority in your heart and in your mind, everything changes, even the way you talk. You see, in ancient societies, slaves were very careful how they would talk to their masters. When someone in subjection in that day spoke respectfully to someone in authority, they would try to avoid words like you. They would try to avo avoid words like I. 
Why? Because the words you and I, these are words that equals use of each other. Instead of saying I, a slave in ancient days would refer to himself as your servant. And instead of saying you, a slave in that day would refer to his owner as master or Lord. For example, you remember in Genesis chapter 44 when Joseph is in Egypt and his brothers come and they visit him because there's a famine in the land, but they don't recognize him as Joseph. They don't realize that's their own brother they sold into slavery so many years and decades before. And so what did Joseph do? He played a trick on them. Now, he, he wasn't trying to be mean. He was trying to fulfill a purpose. But he played a trick on them. And here's what Joseph did. Joseph told his own steward, put a silver cup in my brother Benjamin's bag and then send them off. And so when the brothers left Joseph's company and they were going out of town, the steward was to catch up to the brothers of Joseph. And he said, one of you has stolen a silver cup, my master's silver cup. And this was the response of the brothers in Genesis chapter 44, verse 7. They said to Joseph's steward, Why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. You see, the subservience of Joseph's brother was, brothers were so great that they had to submit even to Joseph's steward. And they called Joseph's steward, my Lord, and themselves, your servants. Now, the Hebrew word for master or Lord was pronounced this way, Adon. And, and that term Adon means deference. It means respect. It means a willing submission to someone else who has a higher authority, to the lordship of another person. And as you could probably imagine, this word Adon was sometimes used of God because there is no higher authority than God. And one of the first people to call God Adon was Abram. You know the story of Abram. God directed Abram to leave his homeland and to go to a place that God had selected, and God promised Abram that he would be the father of a great nation, and that he, his, his family would eventually bless all the families of the earth. And so Abram obeyed God. And then later in Genesis 15, God visited Abram again. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. In verse 2, Abram responds. But Abram said, Lord, God. When Abram said that, he said, Adon, Yahweh. Adon, Yahweh. He's showing God the greatest respect. He said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is a lazier of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born into my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. 
Abram believed Yahweh, and he, Yahweh, credited it to him as righteousness. And the Lord also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But then in verse 8, Abram said, Lord God, Adon, Yahweh, how can I know that I will possess it? Do you see what's going on? Every time Abram had a question of God, he asked it in the most respectful way possible. And he called the Lord Adon, master, ruler. This kind of respect for God continued among the godly. Centuries later, King David would pray for protection in this way in Psalm 16. He prayed, Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to Yahweh, I said to the Lord, You are my Adonai. You are my ruler. You are my master. I have nothing good besides you. Again, when David was fleeing for his life from Saul, David hid in a cave and he was almost caught. But God delivered David. And David wrote Psalm 57 in response. It is a prayer to God. This is what David wrote. He said, be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high. That's Elion. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I'm surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. Selah. Think about that. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord. I will praise you, Adonai, my master, my ruler. I will praise you among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. You see, when you and I come to the point that we finally recognize God as Adonai, my master, my ruler, my owner. That means we are humbly submitting ourselves to him. Adonai gives honor to God. Adonai conveys faith in God. Adonai expresses the assurance that we have in God. Adonai places our security in God. Adonai responds with ready service to God. Adonai is thanksgiving to our God. And when we experience God as our Adonai, as our master and ruler and owner, it doesn't matter what else is going on in this world. 
We could live in the midst of a pandemic. But God is our Adonai. We could face inflation and an economic turmoil, but God is our Adonai. Our enemies on the other side of the world could gain a victory, but God is our Adonai. We could have power-hungry incompetence ruling our country, but God is our Adonai. Wars and rumors of wars could be right around the corner, but God is our Adonai. Today I want to ask you a very important question. Are you discouraged and upset and troubled by the circumstances of this world? Do you find yourself paralyzed by your disillusionment? You need to begin experiencing God as your Adonai, as your ruler, your Lord. Claim him as your master and ruler. Yield yourself to him. If you are always struggling to make yourself free, you'll never find it. All you can do is transfer your slavery to the owner who already owns you, to the ruler who already rules you, to the master who already loves you. And he will never mistreat you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you because he is the Lord. He keeps his promises. This very day, if you want to come to a knowledge of God for the very first time, have a personal relationship with God, it comes through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father but through Jesus. No other religious way, no other philosophical way. No way of good works and good standing before God that you come up with on your own can get you to God. It is only through Jesus, because Jesus paid for our sins. He paid for every last one of our sins on the cross. And he's the only one who's done that. Because the the payment for sin is death. And Jesus died. And Jesus rose from the grave. That is the Savior that I want you to follow because that's the Savior that I believe in. And if you want to receive Jesus, you have to admit that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong before God. You have to come clean about that. Most of us would not have a problem with that, but then you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to Him as Lord, committing yourself to follow Him for life. And if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to say yes to the Lord, In that manner, I want to open up an invitation for you.